listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and I am joined today by Lex Friedman. Lex is the founder of Lex Friedman Consulting. Welcome to the show, Lex. Thanks so much for having me. So full transparency, we have been working with your consulting agency now for a handful of months. I'm not sure how long it's been. Maybe longer. Has it been longer? Yeah, Maybe a year? I think it's about six months. Yeah. Six months? Okay. How long have you had your consulting company? I launched it officially on January 1st of 2023. Oh, congratulations. So you're coming Thank up you. to your anniversary point. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. It's, uh, it feels like almost no time, but also like that's a really long time now. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I uh, launched True Native Media on January 2nd of 20, uh, 2016. And I've always loved that as an anniversary date for a business because I never forget it. It's like, you know, <laughs> the, with the calendar years. And I wonder how many businesses start on that date because the founder is like, okay, after the new year, I'm doing this thing. 100%. Well, for me, I even actually worked on the first, like it was New Year's Day, but I was like, well, this is my business. I got to start. I have to hit the ground. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. So Lex, you have a deep history in podcasting. Um, it looks like you started in the industry in about 2013. You worked for kind of the OG mid-roll media company. You worked for SMX, which eventually was kind of purchased mid-roll. You also worked for Art19, who was bought by Amazon and Wondery. Like you've been with some of the big names in the industry, but I'm really fascinated by the fact that you have this consulting firm and that for the past year, uh, not only do you have the deep knowledge of being in the industry and understanding kind of the ins and outs, but now you've gotten to kind of peek behind the curtain at all of these different companies that you're working with. And I guess I'm curious, you I'm sure came into your role with a certain idea based on the companies you had worked with. Has your experience or your, I guess, knowledge of the industry kind of widened by being able to work with all these different companies? Definitely. And it's, you know, I think that, you know, I've worked at a lot of startups and mm -hmm. I've often been amazed at every startup that anything ever happens. And uh, I've had the same experience at large companies, right? Where you can work and be amazed that kind of anything can ever get done because it's it's hard to get things done. And so I think that my experience in consulting thus far, it's been gratifying or reassuring to see that there are a lot of people tackling similar problems in similar ways. But then it's also really interesting to see that sometimes people are taking wildly different approaches. So, you know, when when it comes to modeling, like how much could this podcast be worth if we we're going to have ads on it? Everybody has some version of a spreadsheet, but it's been fascinating to see how different entities look at what are the factors that matter and how should they do that calculation and how should they think about it. And that, that happens over and over again. So it's been really interesting to get to kind of, like you said, peek into these different companies and to just share insights of my own and, and frankly, learn from some of my clients too about how they approach things. I think it's really interesting because it feels like in some ways that we're all trying to solve the same issues and because we're all independent entities, it's not as though we're coming together and saying, oh, are you having this problem? Because I'm having this problem. Like, what if we work together? You know, um, in the, the best of all kumbaya worlds, maybe we could all do that. But because we're all profitable organizations, we don't want to let others peek behind the curtain. And I... I'm really curious, and I wonder if one day I'll, I'll know if we're all trying to solve the exact same issues and um, if it wouldn't just be quicker if we could work together. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? It's, it reminds me a little bit of like the Instagram problem where most of us just post our best and happiest and most smiley moments on Instagram. And every once in a while, they'll have somebody post, you know, the Instagram version and then reality, if they're taking a photo of their kids and they're like screaming and crying in the, the one <laughs> shot, then pose in the other. And I think that it's two things. One, like you said, they're profitable companies. So everybody wants to kind of play cards close to the vest, but people also, whether they're at businesses or on their own, like everybody's a little bit hesitant to admit, hey, I'm having a challenge or, hey, this thing is a problem. And I think that's human nature, but it also kind of does us a disservice. Um, like even at some of the big podcast industry events, the conversations about tough things tend to be a little bit surface level versus mm -hmm. really kind of getting into the weeds. And it's uh, it's 
a failing not just for podcasting, but I do think it is a failing of podcasting because <laughs> like you're saying, you know, a lot of people are going through a lot of similar challenges. Like this year in particular, a lot of folks were dealing with a, a weaker podcast ad market, but there weren't a whole lot of companies out there saying, hey, we're really struggling with ads this year. How are you handling it? Everybody kind of wanted to project a message of, no, we're doing fine. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think everybody did okay. But it's, I do think it's a bummer that there's that kind of instinctual hesitancy to share more because I think you're right. There's a lot of the same problems and the same challenges being encountered all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you about 2023 20, uh, because it has been such an interesting year. And I know at True Native, I, I, you know, I look at it in, in several different ways. Number one, I look at it and I say, well, gosh, you know, we had double the growth between 21 and 22 that we're having between 22 and 23, but we're still having significant growth, but it really was a very unpredictable year. So if you were to ask me, was it a good year? Was it a bad year? I have to say it was a good year because we had strong double digit growth in the company and I'm happy with that. If I were in any other industry, I would probably be over the moon happy with the growth that we had this year. But it has been really difficult for me to get a sense of how 2023 really was for the whole industry. Do you have any sense, you know, having worked with your different clients? I mean, obviously we have like Spotify laying off you know, this huge percentage of their workforce. There's been a lot of layoffs that have happened this year. So what is your take on how 2023 has been? I mean, certainly there were definitely an advertising slowdown. Just about Mm -hmm. every one of my clients that's in the business of selling ads has talked about ads being harder to come by in 2023 than in years prior. But I think it, I would agree with you that True Native had a successful year, right? You grew and that's, that's the key measure of success. I think the the biggest companies were probably hit hardest, even if they still sold plenty of ads, because there's this kind of need to uh, see the same kind of growth that we've always seen. And mm-hmm. like podcasting ad revenue has consistently grown astronomically year over year, doubled a lot of the time. And if you made a lot of offers, built a lot of deals and structured your business and your hiring and all those things on the presumption that it'll keep doubling forever... <laughs> Now, this was a really tough year Mm -hmm. because you modeled your business in a way that the revenue could not sustain. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't understand that. I mean, let me take that back. I understand the instinct to hope or or model that things are going to keep doubling, but it didn't strike me as realistic before. And I'm not saying that I was some wise wizard ahead of time who knew that things were... I didn't know that it was going to be a a rough 2023. But to continue modeling, doubling year over year and making that a core facet of how your business is operating and structured and how you're doing hiring and and signing shows that has long felt, I think like a recipe for disaster because clearly it can't keep doubling forever. There's a finite amount of dollars in the world and a finite amount of advertisers. And I think the companies that banked on endless doubling are the ones that struggle the most. Mm -hmm. I think the companies that are, you know, the small and mid-sized size where they are built to be profitable, where they're not counting on, you know, effectively infinite investor dollars or, uh, you know, being publicly traded are forced to run their businesses with more discipline. So they actually weathered it a little bit more easily than some of the bigger companies. They can get a little bit more hectic or, or adventurous with how they approach things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I had to laugh because the IAB recently uh, released a report and they showed, you know, the growth trends in the podcast space. And I want to say they were projecting somewhere at like a 24% growth from 22 to 23, but then they projected a 48% growth between 23 and 24. And I'm like, where exactly is this 48% growth coming from? And then I thought the the odder part even was then between 24 and 25, it was back into like the 20s, 20% something. I don't remember the exact number, but I was like, really? Like, and do I want the industry to grow by 48% next year? Heck yeah. Like, <clears throat> that sounds amazing. Let's do it. Like, I'm ready. But like you said, where where's the reality of growth? And I don't think that we are necessarily facing the true reality of where we're at. Um, what are some other challenges that you feel like uh, podcast businesses have faced this year? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think that there every couple of years, there are some entities in the space that are pricing up or, or raising the level of uh, that it costs to sign shows, you know, to get new inventory for a network. And 
I guess I won't name names, but for, you know, a couple of years ago it was, you know, there were a company that was making gigantic deals because they wanted to take everything subscription only. And then as more companies started consolidating and acquiring podcast companies, they're like, let's, let's keep investing in this business. Let's all spend a whole bunch to sign more big shows or sign exclusive shows. Uh, all of that really, I think, drove up the price of signing big deals, signing shows in ways that are unsustainable. That all contributes mm -hmm. to the same problem we were just talking about. And so I know that it's kind of a twofold issue. One, it's making some shows harder to sign for certain networks because they can't keep paying these rates. And then two, it's also forcing some creators to really adjust uh, their own expectations. You know, if you had a one or two or three year deal that was paying you really significantly, and now numbers have to come back down to earth because of what the reality is of the market, that can be hard, especially if you've staffed up. I have a client who, you know, built a team because their initial offer with a partner for a couple of years paid them at X multiples of seven figures. And now they, uh, th their renewal is looking like it'll be not even seven figures. And so how do they continue to sustain that business? That's really tough. So that's mm -hmm. certainly an area I've seen. The other big focus area in a kind of non-economic side is just kind of the technical scaling. Everybody's got different really homegrown solutions they're using to manage so much of this business because I don't think podcasting is brand new anymore. Mm -hmm. But scaled podcasting or advanced podcasting, that's still new. Like coming up mm -hmm. with ways to really take it from, we're well beyond hobbyists, but to take it from, you know, startup to established business and to to make things that can scale with your number of hosts or your team or your number of advertisers, that's harder. And so I'm seeing a lot of folks kind of uh, buckling against the ceiling of Google Sheets or Airtable or whatever it is they're using to manage big components of their business. And that's that's an ongoing issue, I think, in a lot of places. Yeah, I I really do feel like the technology is so far below what I would have expected. And it doesn't necessarily seem that new products are coming out. I, I mean, there are products like the brand safety tools that are coming out. So it, it's not that we it's not that I can say there are no new ad tech solutions out there. But I just find it really interesting. And I think that like when we talk about things that are happening behind the curtain, that these are the types of things that the companies are saying, like, how do we fix this? No one really has a great solution to fix it. The ad tech is so far below what the expectation is. And, you know, I'm so fascinated as well. I know Sounds Profitable had their report come out yesterday talking about essentially the role of video within podcasting. And I've had more and more conversations lately about how podcasts are really just becoming part of the creator space, right? And and I think that that's the best way to say it. It doesn't really matter where you're creating this content. It could be on social, it could be on video, it could be on audio. Ultimately, you're a content creator. And if you can create your content across multiple platforms, you're gonna succeed more, right? Because you're gonna be in different places, no one just listens to podcasts and isn't going on social media or isn't going on YouTube, right? Like we all do different things. We're all, there's going to be, you know, that cross pollination across these platforms. But then for me, that really does kind of bring up that question. Why are we operating so much differently than other types of content creation, ad sales spaces? And obviously all of these people have, you know, all of these different industries, they've been able to perfect how they're doing ads. Like we can do it too, right? Like we can do this, we can scale this. And as we merge into being more of that just content space provider, I would presume we're going to get sucked into some of those existing tools. And yet it still doesn't feel like we're there. Is that your I feeling too? Or? Yeah, I would, I would really agree. You know, it's when I think about the video side of things, to me, it's mostly about meeting your listeners where they are. Mm -hmm. I struggle with some of the stats that come out where people say, you know, uh, more people are listening on YouTube than anywhere else. Like that's clearly not the case in my experience with the folks I'm working with where true podcast listeners, you know, people who are actually listening to episodes in full are, are not mostly on YouTube, but some of them are. And finding those people there and meeting them there, serving them there makes a ton of sense. I think some of what you're referencing I mean, makes me think immediately about this. One of the ways that the industry has tried to scale monetization is with non-host red ads, right? I think the mm -hmm. industry initially 
was built with all we had were baked in host right That was all we could do. And then over time, we had all kinds of innovations where we could use dynamic ad insertion. We could go from ads that weren't just uh, baked in and maybe weren't even just host-read. Maybe it was a pre-produced bot or producer-read, et cetera, et cetera. And now programmatic has really become more and more dominant. I was hearing about one large network just today as we're recording where they've kind of put a line in the sand and said, okay, if a show isn't doing 2 million downloads a month or more, we're putting it into our programmatic only and run a network only pile. We're not going to sell host-read ads against it at all anymore. And that blew my mind because to me, what got the industry to work early on was in terms of as being a successful business approach is that people actually listened to the ads and responded to the ads. And that was a combination of a lot of factors, but a key one to me was that the hosts were voicing the ads. Now mm -hmm. I get the scale problem as well as anybody else. I know how hard it was to scale like at mid-roll and stitcher and how hard it was to scale at art 19 to wondering like at some point you can't manage hundreds of shows and sell host ad ads across mm -hmm. all of them and have all your salespeople know every show's ins and outs. Like that's hard, but the downside to programmatic is it basically has the same problem as every other ad in every other medium, which is that people are increasingly likely to ignore them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that could be just tuning out or zoning out, or it could be literally skipping past them. And, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I sometimes skip the ads. If I've heard, I'll even, I'll call it out. If I've heard judge John Hodgman talk about Brooklyn in enough times, I know I'm not buying any sheets. I'm good. I skip past that ad. I've, I've heard his jokes about it and how he thinks it makes him think of Brookline where he grew up versus Brooklyn, which is what they want you to think of. I've heard it a lot. So <laughs> I skip past it. I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry, Maximum Fun. But I, I, to me, like part of the hesitancy that the industry seems to show about saying, let's, let's be like other things, let's embrace those other tools is I think some understandable fear about that. Like if we do that, are we still podcasting? Are we still special if we kind of embrace all these other tools? And I think... I think people are right to be worried about it, right? Because I don't know how much um, commercial supported TV you watch, but the only TV ads I ever see are during sports. If I'm watching a football game, I see the ads. Otherwise I'm using rarely a DVR and much more often I'm streaming and I don't buy the ad supported versions of those TV things. I'm just skipping right past. I don't have any ads at all. Mm -hmm. And then with you know, my, my home router, which I bought from Amazon, <laughs> blocks ads automatically like so i have a whole bunch of blank ad spaces all over the internet when i'm using my web browser it's it's really hard to reach people and so i think that the scary thing about the fact that the way to scale podcast ads is to make ads that are more skippable or more ignorable is uh, i don't know how that works like i think mm -hmm. it definitely gets you more scale but it's it's running lots more ads to probably not make that much more money right right i i totally agree with you and I just, I think it is so fascinating because we all want high touch. And yet when we look at scaling businesses, the first thing we do is we take out the high touch. And I also see, like I've had podcasters tell me again and again, that part of the reason they like being at True Native Media is because we are higher touch with them, right? They come from a rep firm that maybe has thousands of podcasts to a rep firm that has about a hundred podcasts. It's much right. easier for me to personally know every single host and to give them one-on-one -on -one service because I don't have 2000 podcasts that I'm trying to work, right? If I had 2000, all of that high touch would go away. And so it is really a challenging, I think, issue just in business in general, but specifically when it comes to advertising, I, I mean, when I hear something like that, that, you know, there's a network saying, oh, if you don't have over 2 million, we're just not going to sell you at all. The first thing that I say is bring them to me. We'll sell them. Right. Because the reality is, is that there is a market and I believe there will always be a market for host red ads, because as you said, they are just so much more interesting. Now that doesn't mean that we're not skipping any of them. Right. As you, as you said, I know I've been guilty of skipping ads too, as has everyone, but yes. I've also listened to lots of podcast ads and thought, man, I should buy this product. It sounds really cool. I haven't done that with a banner ad on a website in, oh, I don't know, 20 years. <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> saying? Or I will say sometimes on social media, I'll see ads and think, oh, this sounds interesting or this looks interesting, but a lot of it's the way it's positioned. So yeah, it's, it's, it's important. And I think that, that's a great point. What you just said, like when the social ads that work, 
like sometimes you get the ones that feel creepy, right? Like you say, yes. hey, maybe we should take a trip to Disney World. And then Facebook serves you in and out to Disney World and you worry, are they listening to you? And they're not listening to you, but they just know a whole lot. But then sometimes like if I'm on Instagram and I see an ad for like a device, they can charge my phone and my AirPods and my Apple Watch all at the same time. I'm like, boy, that's that's right up my alley. I feel seen. And that can be interesting to me. I've definitely bought stuff from, from social ads. Mm -hmm. So certainly if we had really, really good targeted ads in podcasting, that would be a big benefit. The problem is, as anybody with you know the technical expertise on this side knows, it's much harder to target podcast ads than it is to target social ads, where you've mm -hmm. filled out an entire profile, you're logged in, and we know exactly who you are on social. It's trickier for us to recreate that, that level of granular targeting in podcasting because of the way the technology works. Uh, and so to me, that is an opportunity, right? If we can figure out how to target people with ever greater accuracy and really match you with ads that make sense, then if it can't be the host, maybe it still is relevant to you because it's relevant to you. So you're mm -hmm. more likely to pay attention. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, I mean, ultimately, I always think that relevancy piece is the most important. If you get served an ad for something you actually really want to buy, aren't you so much more interested in the ad? Whereas like when you get an ad where you're like, this is, I think the worst thing about watching TV oftentimes are all of the pharmaceutical ads where it's just like, it's just one pharmaceutical ad after another. And to me, it's just so uninteresting. And I'm never going to go to my doctor and say, I need this drug, please give it to me. You know, like I just, I'm not going to do that. But when you get served ads that you really like, they work. And obviously the reason we know host read ads work is because here's this person that you know, like, and trust who is in many cases, very similar to you and they're reading a host read ad, right? So I don't, I really don't think that host read ads are going to totally go away, but there is still that scalability issue that we're going to continue to face. And I mean, perhaps the only solution is programmatic. The, the, the companies that I think are approaching this the smartest are the ones who don't look at it as it's got to be all one or all the other. Because I agree with you. There is no reason for Bill Simmons to stop reading podcast ads when they work so well and they can sell so well. Mm -hmm. um, and when you listen to some of the biggest shows around, like uh, Conan O'Brien or Smartless, you'll hear a mix of ads voiced by them and then the occasional pre-produced right. spot. It's rarer on some of those shows to hear a programmatic spot, but they'd rather fill it than not fill it. And so hearing some of those where you still get to hear Conan or Jason Bateman or Sean Hayes or whomever voicing that spot, and then, yeah, you got some pre-produced spots in there too. I think that helps um, because it, it one, I think it drives home just how much more effective the host red ones are. But it certainly, if to turn off all that host red ads to stop selling them at all would be crazy, right? It would just, mm -hmm. it would be doing a disservice to that show. There's more money to be made there. And to me, it's not even, I agree with everything you said. It is absolutely the fact that you know and appreciate and trust this host, maybe have things in common with them. But the most effective host red ads are the ones where the hosts are able or willing to have fun with it. You know, right. I host my own small ad-supported podcast about technology, and we have ads. Uh, and as a listener, and as a person who's been in this interview a long time, I really try to make those ads as fun to listen to as possible. And sometimes it's hard, right? If you're reading your 10th ad for Rocket Money, and I'm a fan, I, I use Rocket Money before it was called Rocket Money, and I was a user before they ever sponsored my podcast. Like, I really do like it. But how many times can I tell the same stories about them lowering my cable bill, right? It doesn't matter. Right. But finding ways for the hosts to still use their own creativity or personality mm -hmm. and being willing to say, Hey, some of this side isn't as scalable, I think makes sense. And so that's what this big company's trying, right? They're saying, Hey, we're still going to sell host ads, but just on these gigantic shows. So that way we can focus on those. I get it. That number, that 2 million number seems crazy to me. Like that seems like a lot of money being left on the table for other shows that could benefit from host red ads. Yeah. So I don't know what the right answer is, but it, it doesn't feel like that's it. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I'm really curious what your take is on frequency capping. And so when I think about gaps in technology, and when I think about scalability, my take is that we should be monetizing every impression. Because the reality is, is that if you're listening to a podcast today, you are, you're a, a potential buyer of that product. So there's a podcast that I listen to sporadically and AG1 has been advertising on their show for a long time. I know that they used to do embedded ads. I listened to the show yesterday and I am sure that they switched to dynamic um, just because of the way that the ads were being inserted. They were not being inserted poorly. 
but it was at the end of a thought and an ad came in, but the transitions used to be slower and now they're not so slow. So I'm sure that they moved to dynamic ad insertion. And I, I know that this topic is one I bring up probably every episode, but I heard the ad, the ad was just as good as it has ever been when I heard it embedded. I see absolutely no reason why I wouldn't, as a listener to that podcast, respond in the exact same way to that dynamically inserted ad as I would respond to one that was baked in. The experience was so similar that I just don't see how it could be bad. Now, I do not think that dynamic ad insertion has been perfected and we're getting increasing pushback, I feel, from our podcasters because they don't understand the way that we're breaking the show up. So it used to be for us that when somebody bought a campaign, it was dynamically inserted and we typically would sell it in a four week run, right? So like you get essentially a month flight on this show. Well, as we've been perfecting dynamic ad insertion, we're seeing that buyers wanna buy smaller and smaller chunks, which I understand. And I think this is long overdue. <laughs> I don't think right. that we should have really a sponsor sponsoring a show where every single episode we listen to for the next year is gonna have an ad from the same advertiser in it, right? I think that you should flight. I think you should break campaigns up. But then we've got our podcasters saying, well, if instead of 100,000 impressions, they only want to buy 50,000 impressions, then that means I have 50,000 that can't be sold. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way, right? So my theory is that we should really, and when we talk about moving into that creator space, when we talk about how everyone else on the planet in digital advertising sells, why are we not selling on an impression-based CPM why don't we have better frequency capping tools? Like why, why can't we operate in that space? It just seems very strange to me. I know that was a bit long-winded, but what are your thoughts? No, I, I think that frequency capping is like all the major hosting providers are now at least starting to offer some approach mm -hmm. to frequency capping. It's not for exactly the same reasons why targeting is hard, but it, it's still tricky. It's especially tricky if it's, you know, a uh, a run of network campaign or a programmatic campaign that can go across a lot of different shows. And so uh, we're trying to balance on our side, on the network side, we want to make sure we can deliver on our campaigns, mm -hmm. on the advertiser exactly. side, we want to make sure we're not saturating somebody too much with the same ad. But you definitely want some repetition because you want people to hear it more than once. They're not listening to these shows for the ads. And it's, I, I think that obviously frequency capping is important because I remember so vividly the early days of Hulu Plus when it was still called that and it had ads in there. And uh, you would, I saw the same ad for the same Ford at every commercial break in a show that I was watching and it's sometimes back to back in that commercial break. And I was like, mm -hmm. I will never buy a Ford. And that was a long time ago. And I have still never bought a Ford. Um, I was <laughs> you don't really so strike me as a ad. Ford person though. <laughs> it's fair. I had never <laughs> bought one before either. Uh, the ads didn't work though, but it really, it was so aggravating. Yes. When you, when you talked about how you could, you could sort of detect that that ad was there, but it was the same. Like, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that there's a lot of advertisers who are begging for baked in, not because they think it sounds more natural or because they think listeners respond better, but because they want the ad to be left in longer. Everybody would like mm -hmm. something for nothing and advertisers appreciate if an ad just stays in indefinitely. Mm -hmm. The thing that I think is important and like what you described was they finished a thought and then the ad came in. A lot of shows, you'll have them finish the thought and then say, we'll be back right after this or more in a second or whatever it is. And then the ad comes in. Some shows are more hesitant to do that last line in case there isn't an ad. And to me, one of the things that's really important, and this is maybe controversial, lightly controversial, but you shouldn't have any empty ad spots. And I get I that you're agree. not going to be 100% sold out. But if you don't have another ad to go there, find something else to go there. And that might be that you have cross promo for promo. other shows. It might be that you just do affiliate marketing, right? You might just set up a, an affiliate link and set it up there or just link to your own website where you list your advertisers. Hey, I don't have another ad here, so go check out this page where I list all my podcast advertisers and go support them. But you want to train the listeners that the show is monetized. You want to train advertisers who are listening to hear that there's a lot of ads in there. Uh, and it's as when you think about TV or radio, they don't suddenly have a one minute ad break because they didn't sell the second minute of ads. They always fill up those things. So you got to find ways to fill up that ad time. I think it's, I think it's important to help listeners get it. And really we're still going through a listener experience transition where initially nobody had any ads in podcasts and then it was just the host read thing. And now 
a lot of successful shows have a lot more ads than they used to, including ads that sound just like radio ads. And for a long time, part of the pitch was they don't sound like radio ads. So people like them more and listen more. So everybody's kind of adjusting together. And I think there's always going to be a tension between listeners would rather not have ads, but most of the time would also rather not pay for these things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that many listeners get that there's some kind of trade happening here. Like I'm getting this for free because there's these ads. Mm -hmm. I also, I think it matters for, uh, I think it's important for hosts to remind their listeners that that's happening sometimes. Like, yes. Hey, I'll be back in a second, but please do listen to these ads because it's why I'm able to make the show. Like it's okay mm -hmm. to remind folks of that. It's harder if you're like a, a millionaire host. I get that. But if you're, if you're a regular host, mm -hmm. but I totally get the desire for frequency capping. And I think that I wish it were easier, mm -hmm. but certainly I think that if you're able to make sure that, you know, somebody's not going to, you know, for me, I mentioned Judge John Hodgman before, I, I'm very current on the show, but I, I didn't listen to it when it first came out because I worked at a competitor and I wouldn't listen to my competitor shows for a while. I was a very, I was a very small man for that time period. In my life. <laughs> I, I've been going through its back catalog and I'll download, you know, maybe 30 episodes at a time and they are not frequency capping. So part of the reason I'm skipping those Brooklyn and ads is because I'm hearing the same Brooklyn and ad over and over again as I go through that back catalog. So thinking about that and being thoughtful to make sure that you're not giving the same person the exact same ad over and over again absolutely matters because for me, it's th that Brooklyn and ad is no longer effective, although I'm giving plenty of airtime on your show today. But the <laughs> I think that advertisers have to recognize that they have to adapt too, right? Mm -hmm. So to say, hey, we want to go back to baked in. We think it worked better in baked in. I don't think it worked better when the ad was baked in. I think that what worked better is when you were the only advertiser in the show, when the show had far fewer ads, or when the show was willing to let your ad live there forever, or when the host had so few ads that they were willing to spend four minutes on your ad read sometimes, or when there were just more new people coming to podcasts every day, so more and more people were discovering your ad. Mm -hmm. It's a different world now. And so I, I think that blaming the ad delivery mechanism and trying to disadvantage the podcast networks themselves who also are running businesses is not the right approach. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I, we ask new advertisers for sample ad reads that they've done in the past that have been successful. And we have a new advertiser that sent over a sample ad read today. And he's like, this one performed better than any other ad. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll, I'll check it out. You know, I'm interested in seeing. And the ad read, when I turned it off, was four and a half minutes long and I just stopped listening because I was like, okay, guys, I get it. Like, but it was baked in, it was four and a half. I mean, I don't know, maybe it was five minutes long. It was a very long ad. And I thought, well, yeah, I could see how that would work well for you because it was really long. And and they did it in a good way. I do think that you can have diminishing returns, right? If you go too long, people Absolutely. are like, fast forward, this is too much. I don't want I don't want a four minute ad read. I want something concise and to the point. But yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the industry is changing. And and don't get me wrong, I'm a proponent for for frequency happening, but not in the way that it is set up today, because we literally, and if you if you haven't listened, we did an episode a few uh, episodes back where we talk about frequency capping. One of our team members, Anthony, has really kind of dived in deep and predicting how many impressions we can deliver on a frequency capped campaign is nearly impossible. So if we think we can deliver 100,000 impressions and then you put a frequency cap on it, we might deliver 10,000, we might deliver a wow. hundred, like, but we really have no idea. And it's, so when I go back to technology, I just keep thinking why, like, why can't we get there? And, um, and I, I do have confidence that we're going to get there. It's just frustrating that we're not getting there sooner because I do think that if we were able to take many of the tools that advertisers are used to using in other you know forms of advertising and bring them over to podcasting it would just make more sense and you know we were talking yesterday um that for a lot of the companies we deal with they've never done podcast advertising before and we usually do this whole song and dance about like this is what an embedded ad is this is what a dynamically inserted ad is and yesterday i said what if next year we just say we're selling impressions what if we just say that like for all of our direct advertisers, we're not going to talk about dynamic. We're not going to talk about embedded. We're just going to say, we're going to run your campaign until you get 100,000 impressions. And we think that's going to happen in about a month. If it takes longer, we'll run it a little longer until you get 100,000 impressions. Like how much easier would that be than trying to 
like teach someone who doesn't want to know <laughs> about something that is just confusing, right? And no, I think it's really smart. And it's uh, podcasts have lived in this challenging spot where they're digital. So people want them to behave like digital and everybody understands everybody on the digital buying side knows how digital ads work. They know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And they, they, if they're familiar, if they come from the social side, they're like, okay, here's my exact targets that I want. And here's the numbers I want. Uh, and we have to say, well, we can't do targeting to that way. And if they came from search, like, here's how we want to pay. And here's how we expect to do like, Well, we don't necessarily know if they've followed through in the ad. It's different. So in many ways, it's a lot more like analog ads, right? It's a lot more like TV ads or radio ads. And the buyers who buy those know what that experience is like and simply accept the numbers they're given from various sources. Uh, they can't measure delivery and they just go kind of on faith because it's what right. they've always done and right. it's, what's always worked. And I love that, you know, often used cliche about, you know, that I know, I know half of my advertising works. I just don't know which half. And what I have liked about, I never sold anything besides podcast ads. That was the only kind of ads I ever sold. But what I've loved about the industry from the very beginning was that it doesn't feel like even today that people are trying to, on the on the sell side, are trying to take advantage, right? They're not trying to say, hey, let's shove your ads in this one and see if it works. Like done well, these ads really do work. Even mm -hmm. programmatic ads can work. They might work differently and need a different cost structure from host ad. But, you know, when people listen to these ads, they respond to them, which is good. And... There's definitely this kind of struggle of uh, everybody wants it to do more, right? <laughs> I think that advertisers would like to see even more results, uh, but I 100% agree with this notion of not going too deep on the technical aspect of it, right? The same way that if you're buying TV ads, they don't tell you, here's how the, the different signals work and it doesn't matter. And right. people can get so confused. Even experts in the field can get confused or conflate uh, ad format versus ad delivery mechanism. Like you can have a host read dynamically served ad. And there's still folks who confuse that and think that if it's host read, it must be baked in, which is obviously not the case. But getting into those weeds, I agree with you. It does not serve a new buyer at all. Frankly, it doesn't serve old established buyers either. They have to start focusing on other things instead of getting into those weeds. Yeah. But I love that idea for next year of saying, here's, here's the impressions you're buying because people speak impressions. They know what that means. Right. They know what that means. And I think that if we want to break out into other advertising, you know, channels, we need to speak language that people understand. Absolutely. Um, what do you think are some big mistakes that advertisers make? Like in your career, as you've watched advertisers establish campaigns, are there mistakes that they make? There are two that immediately spring to mind. One is spending just enough to know that they didn't spend enough to learn anything, right? So either coming in too small or it can even be coming in too big on just one show, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have $100,000 and you spend that all on one show, I I don't love that for you because you're only testing one show and that's a lot of money to spend and only test one show. Uh, but if you want to test 10 shows and you run one or two spots on each of them, you haven't done a good job testing those 10 shows either because that's not necessarily enough. Mm -hmm. I always think of it as I need to hear the spot once to just kind of get aware of it at all. A second time to have it pique my interest and the third time to actually follow up. That's not mm -hmm. science. That's just my anecdotal experience of hearing new podcast ads. And so I always want new advertisers to try as many shows as they can afford where they can afford to do enough spots to really feel like we're getting a meaningful test. So that's one side is just is trying to frankly cheap out on the initial test and not getting good enough results. Cause mm -hmm. you can, you can not spend a lot on anything and get a bad result. Mm -hmm. um, I also would rather buy a more expensive pan than a cheap pan that I have to replace in six months. The other side of it is, and it's amazing to me that this is still a problem, but some advertisers get really sloppy with copy, especially if you have one of those brand names that's hard to spell. Brooklyn is actually a great example. Like, I don't know offhand the right way to spell Brooklyn. And I know the two things I would try. And I'm sure one of those is right. But, you know, honestly, I think the the direct response shops do this better than a lot of other advertisers do. But you got to repeat the URL. And some, and you got to repeat the promo code if there is one. Mm -hmm. And some of those ads, I know as the person reading them or as the person hearing them, it can get annoying. And it's the same mm -hmm. way on the radio, right? Go to this URL slash whatever. That's this URL dot slash whatever. One more time. <laughs> really? One more time? It's a little annoying to say. It's a little annoying to hear. But it's better than not knowing. When you talked about that four or five minute ad read, what I worry about is, does the listener know what to do, right? If I am going to fast forward, have you told me the promo code right. at the top? Have you told me the URL to go right. to at the top? Right. So I really like, especially because I know that some people are going to skip, especially if they've, if they've heard an ad for that advertiser before, whether it's on my show or somebody else's, I'd like to give some of the detail right away. Mm-hmm. Hey, especially if it's an old familiar advertiser, right? Hey, here's another spot for Brooklyn. And to be clear, I've never read an ad for Brooklyn. Here's another spot for Brooklyn. And don't forget my promo code is, you know, Lex. And then 
at the end, you can do the full call to action with everything there, but like let people know so that if they're skipping at the beginning, they've maybe heard it and you're repeating it a couple of times at the end. So newcomers and old comers can, can hear and respond. So to me, those are the big things is, is testing wrong or not giving shows enough of a chance uh, or not trying enough shows because if we could predict exactly which shows would resonate best with which advertisers would be a much better industry, but we can't. And then the other side is, yeah, making sure that the copy actually conveys what you want to convey. And there are so many brands that are hard to spell. And honestly, yes. there's even shows giving out promo codes that are hard to spell. I know. So being thoughtful about that, I think really matters. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I will say too, the same show that I was listening to yesterday, this gentleman is from the UK and he has an accent and he was advertising a bike company and I could not for the life of me figure out what he was saying. Like, I think I know what it was, but he <laughs> never did spell out the URL. And I thought, man, that would have been interesting if he had spelled it out because I could have. And so I think that those are really important things for advertisers to think about because you don't know who's going to be reading your ad. And you, I mean, when, when you're getting a host read ad, there are a variety of different hosts. Not everyone is a professional radio announcer in podcasting, which right. is what makes it beautiful, but it also makes it hard. I also and to think- To that point, I would say it's when it's allowed. I would uh -huh. also always prefer you send talking points versus a script. If yes. you need a script, send both. But yes. the only way the host is going to have fun with it or make it their own is if you haven't written out every single word. I see scripts. Like I'm, you know, my ads are sold by a company called uh, Relay for uh, the podcast that I host. And- those ads, when they come in and they have a full script and it says, you know, the advertiser wants you to make this your own. I'm like, how? I'm looking at the script. Like, it's uh, all the words are there already. It's pretty tricky. But then when you get the ones where it's bulleted out, great. I'll, I'll have fun with that all day. So I think that's another, and it's hard because after, <laughs> I've seen, and the DR shops are especially guilty of this, where you get like three pages of bullet points, 98% of it's in bold saying you must read these things. And then also add personal experience here. And you're like, if I did exactly what you told me to do here, this would be five minutes long. Like, you're just going <laughs> to. Four. Right, right. You bought sixty seconds, so we've right. got to we've got to meet in the middle somewhere. Right, right. Yeah. No, I I think you you hit it spot on. So, what do you think are some big mistakes that podcast companies are making? Have you seen in your experience working? And you are you primarily working with people working in ad space, like in the podcast ad space, or do you work with? I mean, it sounds like networks and stuff too. Yeah. So I would say about seventy percent of my clients are in the podcasting space in some way. And mm -hmm. that's relatively evenly split between like technology companies, production companies slash creators, and then monetization focused companies, whether it's ads or subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like with the podcast companies in particular, I know we talked a little bit about how maybe we're all kind of internally trying to solve issues, but are there any other like bigger, like arching issues that you see come up again and again? I mean, the biggest one that springs to mind for me first, you already referenced, which is losing the the human touch with mm -hmm. all of your shows and frankly, with your advertisers. Mm -hmm. you know, when you hit a certain level of scale and it's really hard, like I have some clients who come to me who are advertisers and they want help buying ads and I'm not an ad agency. So I don't like take a fee like that, but I just try to help them understand the marketplace and point them in the right direction. And if I'm helping with their RFP process, I've gotten some truly terrible proposals back. You know, here's a, here's a spreadsheet in PDF format, so you can't even like really use it in a material way. And by the way, here's no details on any of the shows, or I've completely ignored you. Um, you know, I, I had one major comment. It was like, you can get host red ads on these shows, but it's a minimum of $100,000 per show to get host reds on. Like, are you, like that's, that's unreasonable. Mm -hmm. And the hosts can kind of feel disconnected in a similar way. So if you have so many shows and nobody on your team is checking Hey, what do these ad reads sound like? Mm -hmm. And nobody on your team is able to coach them up and say, Hey, could you do a little bit more here? Or you forgot to say this, or you said this and Hey, your British accent made it hard to understand what the bike company is called. Like that's work that could be done. It takes time. It's just one more burden on mm -hmm. scaling. That human side to me is the single most impactful differentiator the podcast advertising had for a long time, because it wasn't faceless the way that buying social ads and buying search ads can be. Mm -hmm. uh, there were humans on the other side. So as we push more and more into that programmatic side, that's the piece that you're losing. And I think it reflects everywhere. So I think that's the, the loss of the human touch is the biggest one. Uh, and then I think we're seeing automatic course correction on overspending on things because they can't help but overcorrect for that one, or correct for that one. But um, 
I guess the, the other mistake that I see is a failure to successfully differentiate. If like it used so to be hard. that you could say, hey, we have podcast ads. We're the only people who sell podcast ads. That's not true. There's a whole lot of people who sell podcast ads now. There's a whole lot of podcasts. Mm -hmm. And everybody has, just about everybody has one core differentiator, which is that they're the place you can go to buy their shows. If you want to get on that show, you have to talk to that network. But that's not enough anymore because there's plenty of shows. There's no shortage of supply available to these advertisers. So what else can you say that makes your network different? And frankly, it's exactly what you and I are talking about. It's in many cases, the biggest differentiator you can offer is how you operate as a business, how your team responds and how your shows do on their reads and how efficient you are and, and responsive and that sort of thing. Because especially these larger companies are getting less and less human, not because they don't care, but because like to achieve the scale that their bosses demand, it's harder and harder to be human. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that like finding the real differentiators, which certainly includes that human touch, but can include other things too. I feel like a lot of companies are falling down on that side. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really curious. I like to think that eventually we'll get to a place where everyone will pay more for that human touch and every, you know, the advertisers will pay more for those host read ads. The podcasters will be willing to give up maybe a higher percentage, you know, um, in their split because they're going to get a higher level of service from their rep firm. But I don't know. I mean, we're, we're, we're automating so many things in our world that it's hard to say, but I, I think that, it really is unfortunate because to me that human touch is what makes life fun, right? Like we don't all just want everything to be fast paced and automated. We want to form relationships. And, and to me, ultimately that's what podcasts come back to anyways, right? Is the reason you listen to a show in my mind is because you like that host and you want to feel like you're part of their life. You want their information, you want their entertainment. Um, so I guess only time will tell. And I was thinking just now, as you were talking about that, you know, like the TV upfronts, you never have, and I, I, I don't know how much we want to compare to TV because I don't know how long ad supported TV is really going to last, <laughs> but you know, when NBC has its upfronts and maybe they bring out Jimmy Fallon or, or Seth Meyers or something, they typically don't, unless it's strictly as a joke, they don't say, Hey, you don't want to, don't worry about those primetime shows on ABC or Fox. They stink. Like we are, they talk about what makes their shows great. And they show you pre previews of those shows and they talk up their stuff. And when you go to like the annual IB podcast upfronts, it's a whole lot of folks um, trash talking their competitors, right? <laughs> Which doesn't feel like the, and it's often talking to the same room full of advertisers who go to every single one of those events. The, the real work to be done here is how can we build up versus tearing each other down mm -hmm. and how, what can we do to bring more advertisers in? Certainly there's more advertisers coming into podcasting all the time, but if they're coming in because they've heard about these great results and how different podcast advertising is, and we do everything we can to make it seem the same as everything else, or we give them programmatic ads that really don't resonate any better than everything else they're doing. That's a tough entry into the space. That's not, that's a non-exciting entry into the space. Mm -hmm. So I, I, we were going back to that Kumbaya moment you referenced at the beginning, if, but if we could use upfronts as an opportunity not to if for every single network to get up and say that they're the number one network, which is kind of what happens and <laughs> that their ads are better than all the other players and their shows are better than all their competitors. But instead just talk about what makes their shows great and figure out ways to use that event and others to bring in more people to the space. Like that's, that's where real growth is going to come from. It's not going to be, can we get more AG one ads on more of our shows? It's how can we right. get more advertisers in overall? Right, exactly. And I, I think you really hit a nail on the head there because we, we do that, right? It's like, well, how do we get better help and AG one and manscaped and hello fresh. And, and like, let's, we want all of those advertisers on all of our shows. Well, why not? Let's bring in a whole other group of advertisers, right? Yeah. Like not there's like what 200 advertisers in the space or something, right? Like, right. We don't have to all argue over those 200 advertisers. Let's bring in a whole nother group of 200. I'm sure there's more than way, way more than 200, but there's still, when you break down the core of who's actually spending in the Definitely space. Definitely countable. And 200 sounds about right for yeah. who's spending the most. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. So just to kind of wrap us up here, do you have any predictions for the space going into the new year? I, I hadn't thought about that. I think it will not surprise me to see two kinds of companies either grow or launch over the next year or two years to kind of address the 
the the space between like very very tiny startup companies and these giants and true native mm -hmm. definitely sits in this you know this mid-sized company space right but i think you're going to see more companies that are saying how can we service significant shows with significant audiences who really want to sell more host red ads how can mm -hmm. we build more of these things that are very human focused because that's the hardest part to grow and i think if if you're willing to say hey we're not going to scale to be you know, the size of an Amazon or a Google, and we're willing to stay at this kind of mid-tier size, that, that there's an opportunity there. I also feel like there's a, you were referencing some of them earlier, but there's a couple different technology companies, the brand safety ones and the ad approval ones and the the scheduling ones and all these pieces. Like there's all these different pieces or avails finding that people do very manually right now. And mm -hmm. I, I hear from and work with a couple companies that are trying to get into that space. It's a scary market to me because there's only so many companies that can ever use your tools at. But I think we're going to see more of that kind of technology solutions. The one, the other prediction I'll make is almost an anti-prediction. There's so much talk about AI and I'm not afraid of AI. I think AI can be super helpful for a lot of things. I'm not a big believer in AI voice ads. Like the one place where I could see it being useful is if you have, you know, a mega, if Oprah's hosting a podcast and she's willing to, she's not going to record that anyway, but she's willing to record one ad. And then you're allowed to use that ad on other shows. And all we're going to do is use AI to create Oprah's voice saying promo codes for other shows. So she doesn't have to record 80 other promo codes. That to me is interesting. But synthesizing an entire Oprah ad, that does not capture what makes host red ads effective. It's, <laughs> it's something else. Even if it sounds perfect, you're not going to put her personality into it. You're going to give her a script that's that's being read verbatim by this ai right. so I'm, I'm less gung-ho on ai in terms of voice ai mm -hmm. so that's my anti-prediction mm -hmm. yeah yeah no i i agree i think i i feel like it's so fascinating when you talk to those people they're, they're like oh well we're gonna get two ai voices to like create the show together and then we'll get ai ad reads and i'm like if they do all that, I'm going to get AI to listen to it instead of me. Exactly, exactly. Because going back to that human connection, that's what we all really want, right? Like, <laughs> And they yeah. can have the robot connection. It's exactly. Fine. You make your robot connections. I like people. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lex, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thank you for all you've done for True Native and for the industry. I really appreciate it. If uh, people want to connect with you, where's a good place for them to find you? Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm LexFriedman.com. And if you want to see more about the consulting work I do, it's LexFriedman.com slash consulting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. 2024 is right around the corner and it is going to be an interesting year. That is for sure. Make sure that you tune into my next episode where I will talk all about my 2024 predictions. Make sure you check out my YouTube channel and I will catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast to Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry.